Thank you, Diana. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5. Freedom is not free, is it? We'll enjoy, we'll enjoy that today. Um, we'll gather together and we'll have picnics this week and some of us will go watch fireworks and um, I wonder what those fireworks sound like uh, to a soldier who was in combat, uh, who lost um, fellow soldiers in battle. Um, we, we ooh and ah, and we'll cheer when they're all over, and uh, we'll stop for ice cream maybe on the way home or the way there, and, um, and, and we should. We should celebrate. We should celebrate the freedom that we have, the liberty that we have from tyranny, um, as American citizens, but uh, freedom is not free, and it comes at a very, very high, high cost. You know, something, when we think about our freedom, when we think about freedom in general, we think of no one's telling us what to do. Really, the idea of freedom or liberty is, uh, is with, it's going without oppression, not being oppressed. But free people have to rule themselves. There are laws that keep us free, even. Um, we have policemen uh, who do not bear the sword in vain, and they pull people over on occasion, right? Sometimes us, uh, to, to, make, to ensure the safety of others around us. Um, and so freedom is something that has to be maintained. It has to be, there, there's a responsibility for those who have freedom. Look, look with me, before we read chapter 5, I, I want you to look at chapter 2 for just a moment. We, we studied through this passage of Scripture, but I think it's very important before we look at the passage this morning that God has for us, it's very important for us to be reminded of who we used to be and what God did to save us and the cost for our liberty and for our freedom. Look at chapter 2 of Ephesians, and I'll read just the first 10 verses here. He says, and you, speaking to believers, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were in bondage to death and to sin. And then in verse 2 he says, wherein in time past ye walked. Remember he's been talking to us about our walk and how we ought to walk. He says, this is the way you used to walk according to the course of this world, worldliness, according to the prince of the power of the air. And the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Talking about the evil one. Verse 3. Among whom also we all had our manner of life, our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You used to live, uh, used to live... Uh, was according to death and destruction and sin and, and worldly. That's who all of us who are saved used to be. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, made us alive together with Christ, by grace, by God's unmerited favor, are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So God saved us so that we could not live the way we used to live, but that we could live differently and that God could give us more of his grace. Look at verse number 8, For by grace are ye saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know, when I think of this week and what it stands for, and, and we could go back in our minds and we could think about the Revolutionary War and the Minutemen and the soldiers who died and the uh, shot heard round the world, and uh, we could go back and we could recount the different wars, and if we went into further details, the different battles that men and women have fought for our freedom around the world. 
we would all be reminded that freedom that we're enjoying today has come at a very, very high price. And their investment is worth something. It has is, it is provided us with liberty and freedom, but it is something that you and I are responsible for. In our passage, biblically speaking, Christ, God, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that we could be liberated from sin and death. We used to walk in it. We used to be darkness. And God, in Christ, has made us light. He's given us life. He's given us liberty and freedom. And yet, every one of us have a responsibility to walk worthy of that liberty and that freedom. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning from our passage. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. We'll not take much time, but I want to I wanna notice just a couple of things by way of review. You remember in chapter 4, he's saying, walk worthy in verse 1 of the vocation wherewith you're called. And, and I've told you that's the unity of the Spirit. You and I are to walk worthy of that. We're to walk worthy of that. It really, is, it really saddens my heart when I watch Americans quarreling and fighting with one another. My heart was grieved this week, and, uh, and I was a little late getting the news, but I happened to pick up my phone, and, and I saw a headline come across my phone, and it was from Annapolis, Maryland, where that man walked in and with a shotgun killed, what, five people or something like that. And I thought about this week coming, and I thought about the men and women who have died for our freedoms and our liberties, and I thought to myself, you know, the men and women who died for our freedoms and liberties did not die so a man could misuse his freedoms and take other people's lives. And the same is true for you and for me as believers. God didn't send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to give us liberty and freedom from sin so that we could go back and live in sin and hurt one another. Does that make sense? We're to walk worthy. We're not to walk the way we used to, the way we used to uh, walk. We're not to live the way we used to live. There ought to be a change. There ought to be a different difference in our lives. Those who, who, who were dead, don't you think there would be a difference in the life of a person who was from the time he used to be dead to the time he is now alive? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be a, a wonderful difference? Uh, when, when the Lord Jesus Christ, during his earthly ministry, raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, I don't even know if I have to ask the question, but do you think there was a difference from the time he was laying in the tomb decaying and the time he walked out of the tomb and they unwrapped him? Was there a difference, yes or no? There was a difference. And there ought to be a difference in the lives of those of us who have been liberated from sin and death. Now, I know, and we've talked about it as we've looked at Ephesians, I know that we all have godless, wicked flesh. I know that the way we used to live, even after we've been born again, we've been made alive in Christ, I know that the pull of sin is still there. I know that, I know, and the Bible has talked about this, only as we consistently say yes to the Spirit of God does He give us victory and power over the things, the life that we used to live. And only as we consistently say yes to the Spirit of God do the disciplines of our lives change. I used as an illustration last week uh, music, for instance. And I I was transparent with you enough to tell you that there's there's some music of this world that my flesh would enjoy. There's no doubt about that. But you know what? It's been a long time. It's been a long time. When I was a teenager and even into my college years, I can remember listening to those things and the disciplines of my life. I was not disciplined in saying yes to the Spirit of God. And so even though I was a child of God, I was still giving in to what I longed for. And in that case, it was music. But as I began to consistently say yes to the Spirit of God in the area of music, it's become a discipline in my life. And so in a very real way, It's not a temptation anymore. My life is being changed. My life is being transformed. Now, I don't know what it is for you. You know, for some of us in this room, the the weakness, the weakness, the the thing that we're weak on, it it might be alcohol. 
It might be our temper, an angry, wicked, godless temper. Uh, It might be our tongue. It might be worry or fear. Okay, it might be foul language. You know, throughout this room, uh, our flesh, what our flesh represents is pretty reprehensible. And only as you and I consistently begin to say yes to the Spirit of God, as we continue to walk in the Spirit, God builds up disciplines in our lives, and to the point where you can look back, and many of you could testify to this, you could look back and say, you know what, wow, that was such a big deal to me. I struggled so much with that for years. It was such a struggle. It was such an idol for me. I struggled so much, and it's not even a desire anymore. God's taken the desire completely away. He's talking about our walk. In chapter 5, he says, follow, follow God. And it really is impossible to follow God without being controlled by the Spirit of God. Being filled, he talked about, with the Spirit of God. And, and, the, and the person who is following God, you remember, is walking in the love of Christ, and he's walking in light, and he's walking wisely. There's, there are godly disciplines in his life. And, and the believer, and, and God tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, he says the way to do that, the way to follow God is to be filled with the Spirit of God. We, we looked at some of the evidences of, of, uh, that, should, that will be in the life of somebody who's filled with the Spirit of God. And you remember in, in verse number 19, one of the evidences of being filled with the Spirit of God is that a person has joy in their heart to the Lord and they're singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord. In verse number 20, the person who's filled with the Spirit of God is giving thanks always for all things unto God. Wow, that a, a person who would give thanks when, when life is not going your way, that person's either lost their mind, they're not thinking clearly, or they're just under the control of the Spirit of God and they're trusting in God. And then you remember in verse number 21, the third evidence of someone who's filled with the Spirit of God is is someone who is submitting themselves one to another in the fear of God. There's harmony, there's unity. Now I want to ask you this morning, do you have unity in your marriage? And this is where we're going this morning, okay? It's what comes next. Don't you love it when we preach and teach through a book of the Bible? I told Sydney this, this past week, you know, I've never preached on this before. And you know why? Because people don't want to hear it, and I don't want to preach it. That's why. Happy Fourth of July. Bombs bursting in air. Fireworks, explosions. But you know, if we want to be the right kind of citizens... If we want America to be all that America should be, it's going to require that God's people walk in the Spirit, that we'd say yes to the Spirit, that we're filled with the Spirit of God. And I want you to know something as we read this passage this morning. The filling of the Spirit isn't just something for the church auditorium on a Sunday morning when we sing Victory in Jesus. It's for every day of the week. It's for our marriages It's for parent-child relationships, and it's for the workplace. Look at our text. I'll begin reading in verse number 21 in in chapter 5, and I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter in verse 33. We're not going to preach the entire chapter today. He says in verse 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's a general statement. Okay, He's not talking about position in verse 1. In in verse 21, he's not talking about who's the authority and who's to submit to that authority. He's just saying, you need to be submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. All of God's people ought to be able to do that. He's not talking about the order of authority. He's talking about the operation of authority, how authority is used and how it is received. Now, in verse 22 and following, he gets into the order of authority. Look at verse 22. He says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For as we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones... For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Before I pray, I want you to reconnect for just a moment the context. God has told us, I've given you my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to give you liberty and freedom from death and hell and victory over sin today. Another way he could say that is, God could say to you and me, I've given you my son so that you can live the way I've created you to live. And now in in these verses, verse 22 and following of chapter 5, he says, and this is what it looks like. This is what a heavenly marriage looks like. And and frankly, part of the reason, the only reason why there aren't more heavenly marriages on this earth is because God's people, the husband and the wife, are not filled with the Spirit of God. They're not walking worthy of the unity of the Spirit. They're not being good stewards of the liberty and the freedom that the blood of Christ and his sacrificial death purchased for you and for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at your word. Father, you know us, you know our frame, you know that we're dust, you know the flesh that we're robed in, you know its wickedness, you know its strengths. You, Father, you know its weaknesses, and yet you sent your Son to die in our place, to save us from death and hell to come, but also to empower us to live lives filled with your spirit, controlled by your spirit. And God, I know, based upon your word, that if we would submit ourselves to your spirit, and we would let your spirit have his way in our lives, Father, our marriages would be beautiful, would be marvelous. And Father, that is what you have purchased through the blood of your Son. Father, help us, I pray, to understand this passage. Give us some practical insight, I pray, and help us. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, it's amazing to me how practical the Word of God is. I mean, it tells us, it reveals to us God. It reveals to us God. It's uh, obviously full of the study of God. But I'm amazed at how practical the Bible, the Bible is, and I'm, I'm amazed at how practical and applicable the truth is. And in this passage, he just frankly talks to us about the role of a husband and a role of a wife. It's not a matter of a husband being more intelligent or the wife being more intelligent. That would be different for each one of our marriages. It's not a matter of the husband being more knowledgeable or the wife being more knowledgeable or one being a greater expert, or the other, or one being better educated than the other, or one with more practical experience than the other. It has none of that. It's talking about, very practically, the role that God has given to the husband and the role that God has given to the wife. Now, the only way for you and for me to fulfill the roles that God has given for us in our marriages is to be filled with the Spirit. If you, are not, if, you, if you are not under the control of the Spirit of God, you're going to fall short of loving your wife like Christ loves the church. If you, if you are not filled with the Spirit of God, ma'am, you are going to fall short of submitting yourself to your own husband as unto the Lord. You're not going to do it. And when you and I, as God's children, misuse the roles that God has given to us to fulfill, 
We don't, we don't walk worthy. We don't live worthy of the sacrifice that he has made for us. Now, I used as an illustration this morning the shooter out in Annapolis. He certainly misused the freedom that other Americans died to give him. We'd all agree with that. And I submit to you that when you and I, as husbands and wives, do not walk in the Spirit and are not filled with the Spirit and do not love our wives' husbands and, ladies, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord, we, too, are coming woefully short of the extreme loving sacrifice that our God has made for us. I think many people today are ignorant about marriage, and I think ignorance is growing on the matter. I think people base their knowledge of what marriage should look like and what marriage should be and and, and, uh, about men, the role of men and husbands and women and wives. I think the world is misinformed, and we base it upon sometimes our upbringing, what we saw. And some of us were blessed to have godly mothers who submitted themselves, uh, submitted themselves to their own husbands and godly fathers who loved their wives like Christ loves the church. And some of us grew up in horrible homes where we saw nothing of the sort. And when I talk to you about how ladies, uh, wives ought to submit themselves to their own husbands as in the Lord, you hear male chauvinist. Or you hear uh, oppressive You cry out equality, but that has nothing to do with equality. God isn't saying that one is is less than the other at all. And, And sometimes we base our philosophy of marriage, and we're ignorant about marriage because we're basing what we think about marriage upon what we have experienced, or what we saw in our parents, or what we've seen in the movies. And you know what? That's a bad plan. Don't, don't set a goal for your marriage based upon what you've seen in the movies or what society dictates. You do know that society changes, don't you? Different cultures around the world, there are different societal, societal norms. And there's a societal norm in the United States of America. We, you and I should not base our marriages, what we call a successful marriage, based upon what we see around us. We ought to look to our Creator. We ought to look to the one who designed man and who designed woman and who designed marriage. God is the designer of marriage and He has given us very clear direction. And it's called His Word. And I want to see what God's Word says on the matter. The Spirit-filled wife and that's, this is the only one we're going to look at this morning, okay? Unless you want us to go extra long. For those of you who don't have air conditioning at home, maybe you'd like to stay and hear me preach on marriage extra long. Most of us don't. So we're only going to look at half of it this morning. A spirit-filled wife will submit to her own husband. Period. A spirit-filled husband will love his own wife like Christ loves the church. Period. Ma'am, if you are not submitting yourself to your own husband, you're not controlled by the Spirit of God. A wife that is saying yes to the Holy Spirit's leading in her life is going to submit herself to her own husband, and and she's going to meet a need that he has, that God created him to have, and that God created his helpmate, his wife, to meet. Now, in our society today, men look everywhere else for this need to be met. More places than I can name and more things that I should name. Do not leave here this morning either, Ma'am, blaming yourself for the woes of your husband. He is responsible to God to walk before him in truth. Okay. But I am going to be very practical. Because there are some wonderful needs that you can meet as a wife that nobody else can meet. The kids can't meet them. The job, the workplace can't meet them. More money can't meet these needs. Only a wife. 
Again, remember verse 21. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And verse 21 really is not speaking about the order of authority in a marriage or parents to children or employer to employee. Verse 21 is just talking about as God's children, uh, we're to be submitting ourselves to the needs of one another. A godly employer is going to be in tune with the needs of of his employees. A godly parent is going to be in tune with the needs of his children. And a godly husband and a godly wife are going to be in tune with one another's needs. So, it's, verse 21 is not talking about the order of authority. It's talking about how authority is used. How it's exercised and how it's received. But God tells us that a husband and wife are to submit to the needs of one another in verse 21. And God tells us what to do. Or, or what those needs are in the verses that follow, or God tells us how to meet those needs in the verses that follow, and I want to look at it from that perspective. We understand that the husband has needs. We understand the needs of a husband by what God commands the wife to do. The greatest need of a husband is to be followed, to be respected, and to be believed in as a leader. I'll say that again. The greatest need of a husband is to be followed, respected as a man, and believed in as a leader. If you want to crush your husband, don't follow him, don't respect him, and don't believe in him. You'll crush him. Now, how do we know what the the man, the need of a husband is? Well, look at what God commands a wife to do. Look at verse 22, the beginning part. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. A wife is required by God to follow the spiritual leadership of her husband. Not of anybody else. Her husband, her own husband, it says. Wives, you are to submit yourselves. It's authority responsibility that God has given to you that you only can meet. You can choose not to do this. Frankly, your husband can't make you do it. No one can make you do it. You have a great deal of power and a great deal of authority and a great deal of responsibility and accountability to God. Uh, I've said it, I don't know how many times, um, ministry, every one of us, God has called every one of us to ministry, to serve him And we serve God by doing his will. He's talking to wives here this morning about his will for you. It'd be possible for a woman, a wife this morning, to be doing the will of God, serving God in Sunday school, or serving God by singing in the choir, or serving God by teaching a a, a lady's Bible study. But a wife who does not submit herself to her own husband is not a servant of God, she is a servant of self. Notice our passage, it it talks about how the wife is to submit, you are to submit yourselves, and your husband is your head, is what it says in the text. And you are to be subject unto your husband. That sounds politically correct, doesn't it? I think I have the air set at 68. It feels about 78. Look at verse 22 again. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, in this passage, he is talking about the order of authority. All of this is to be done as unto the Lord, he says at the end of verse 22. Do it because God has asked you to do it, is what, is, is what he's saying. Submit yourselves to your own husbands because your God, the one who created you, the one who loved you, the one who gave his son for you to make you alive when you used to be dead, make you light when you used to be darkness, make you wise when you used to be ignorant of the truth, and who has empowered you by his Holy Spirit, submit yourselves to your own husbands. This is your ministry, and one of your primary ministries. 
do it because God is asking you to do it. And that's what he's saying, as unto the Lord, submit for God's sake. That's what he's saying. And so God is describing the order and the operation of being a wife. And I got to tell you, and I don't think I have to say it, but many wives struggle and really struggle with this, while some do not. Some people struggle with anger and others do not. Some struggle with worry and others do not. Some struggle with fear and others not. And some struggle with a quick tongue and others not. And I think some wives struggle more with this idea of submitting themselves to their own husbands than another wife. By the way, if you grew up in a home where you saw this model, the Ephesians 5 model, God's will lived out for you and your dad loving his, your mom like Christ loves the church, and you grew up in a home where you saw your, your mom submit herself to the authority of your father and he, and he cherished her and provided for her and loved her and valued her and she honored him and gave him respect and, and, and followed his leadership, If you grew up in a home like that, ma'am, this is not as hard for you as it may be for somebody else who grew up in a home where maybe your father abused your mom or belittled your mom or treated her poorly. Your picture has been skewed if you've not seen this modeled. But I want to tell you, whether you've seen it modeled well or not, every one of you as ladies in this room, as wives in this room, are responsible before God to live out this passage. It's your ministry. I think uh, the picture that is Christ and the church, he is the head and we are his body. And, And as a church, we are to do what our authority, our head, the Lord Jesus Christ, wants us to do. I think many a child has a has a misunderstanding of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. Because we've seen a poor model, a poor illustration in our fathers and our mothers. And by the way, none of us are perfect either, are we? Whether, whether you've seen a good model or not, ma'am, there's going to be a part of you when you walk in your flesh that's not going to want to submit to the headship that is your husband, that, is, or been, that authority, that leadership that has been ordained by God. I want, I want to notice two thoughts and we'll be done. Uh, first of all, I want to notice some of the obstacles for a wife submitting to her own husband. And men, these ought to be convicting to you and to me. There are some obstacles uh, for a wife submitting to her own husband. Why wouldn't a wife submit to the authority that God has placed in her life, her husband? Well, first of all, a wife feels responsible for her husband and not to her husband. Due to poor leadership in the home by men, by the husband. You know that, that leadership, um, I don't think it was a book. I think I, I heard a pastor say it once. He was talking about the load of leadership and how it's heavy. It's heavy. On more than one occasion in our marriage, Cindy has looked at me and I've been ta- I will, will talk about things. And, and she said to me on multiple occasions, I'm glad I'm not the husband. your job, honey. Take the leadership. Make the choice. And we'll find out whether it was right or wrong later. And as a husband, and as a husband here, don't you, haven't you ever noticed that before? Have you ever been there where you're like, you know, you really don't want to make a choice at all? Because it's not an easy, it's not an easy decision. It's a hard decision. We all face that at points in our lives. But sometimes uh, uh, one of the obstacles for a wife submitting to her own husband is that a wife sometimes feels responsible for her husband like a mother feels responsible for her children when that is not God's order. It is God's order for a mom and a dad to feel responsible for their children, but not to their children. It is not the order for a wife to feel responsible for her husband to make sure he gets up in the morning. (laughs) Did you remember this? Did you remember that? You know, kind of like, you know, we have four children. Cindy doesn't have five children. I shouldn't be her fifth child. She shouldn't have to feel responsible for me. I'm an adult. 
I'm a man. I ought to be how to have some disciplines in life. I ought to be growing in those disciplines. I ought to be responsible. But if a wife feels responsible for her husband and not to her husband, that wife will nag her husband. She will criticize her husband in an effort, an effort to motivate him, to protect him from failure and to protect herself. And a wife often takes the lead because her husband wants her to. There have been times where I've thought, it'd be great, you just go ahead and make the decision. <laughs> that way I can criticize you if it goes wrong. Sometimes a wife will, will take the lead because the husband wants her to. Sometimes she'll do it because she has to. And if this pro- progression continues, finally she'll take the lead in defiance of her husband because she knows better. And if you watch any amount of television at all, on most sitcoms, I don't even know if that's what they're called anymore, on most shows, the husband is portrayed as a buffoon. A laughing stock. A good joke. And that's not by accident, by the way. We snicker at it, perhaps. We might laugh at it, you know. But that's not by accident. That's not the model you should be looking to to follow. That is not the model you should be following. So a wife feels responsible for her husband sometimes, and that's why she takes leadership. Wives, do you feel responsible to your husband or for him? There's a second practical obstacle for why wives sometimes don't submit to their own husbands, and that is to... A wife focuses on her husband's human personality instead of his divine position. I don't know how many of you ever thought of your husband's position as a divine position. It's probably been a while. Maybe never. Did you know, though, that God has given your husband a divine position of authority? God created three divine institutions. The state or government, the church, and the home. Did you know that? God created those. He divinely appointed them. And over each of these three institutions, God placed human leaders. Leadership. It's God's plan. And in each case, the leader has a divinely appointed position. Government leaders are said to be, and I'm going to quote, ministers of good, the Bible says. Servants of good. Ordained of God. Pastors are called elders because there ought to be a level of maturity. Bishops because there is God-given authority and oversight. Pastors, that's our responsibility to watch for the souls of God's people. God has given authority of the pastors uh, to pastors and, 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 and they are to be obeyed. Hebrews chapter 13 and, and, and verse 7 and 17. And let me read this because... Uh, I want you to be thinking this way because it's going to apply to husbands and wives. Listen to this, talking about pastors in a church. In Hebrews 13 and verse 7 it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, the way they live their lives. You ought to be watching. And you ought to follow if they're following God. Listen to verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, we're not talking about perfect leadership. We're not saying that all government officials are pure in their motives and godly upstanding people. We're not saying that all pastors do what is right and always do what is right. We're not saying that all husbands are without sin. What we're saying is, just merely pointing out, is that there is leadership that God has ordained within the church and within government and within the home. And in all three of these God-ordained institutions, God desires harmony. God desires unity. And I can say it this way, not just a union. God wants unity. You know, we could tie a cat and a dog together by their tails and toss them over the clothesline, and we would have a union. 
but we would not have unity. Am I right? And just because we have a big fancy wedding and, and you get the paperwork filled out and you, and you say some vows doesn't equal unity in the home. You might have a union, but not necessarily unity. God wants unity. And, and God's plan for unity is realized through his appointed leadership. There are two things required to accomplish this, and these are very practical. Uh, the first is that the integrity of the leader's reputation is necessary. I'm talking to husbands. Are you a man of integrity? Do you have a good reputation? If you don't, you need to work to correct it. The best way to do that is follow the Word of God and submit to the Word of God and say yes to the Spirit of God and be filled with the Spirit of God and you can become a man again whose integrity and reputation is intact. But to accomplish this unity in a marriage, the, 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 the husband's integrity, his reputation has to be one of integrity. The second part is the part of the wife, and that's a purity of the wife's evaluation. In other words, the husband needs to live his life in such a way that's respectable. And a wife needs to be able to respect her husband. Now, I want you to know that Satan actively works to destroy both of these. He tries to destroy the husband's reputation. Do I need to describe how you as a husband can destroy your reputation? I could say walk in the flesh and you'll destroy your reputation to your wife. Belittle her. Speak foolishly. Blow up. Don't father your children the way the Bible says to. Do it in your flesh and you'll destroy your reputation in the eyes of your wife. Go on the internet and look at whatever you want. You'll destroy, you'll destroy your character. You'll destroy your reputation, the integrity of your reputation. And I want you to know, you need to be on guard. Satan is actively working to destroy your reputation. And he'll use moral failure, or he'll lie about you. And his goal is to change the purity of your wife's evaluation. He wants your wife not to honor you. That is his goal. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He sows discord by planting dishonoring thoughts about the husband in the mind of the wife. After all, ladies, you live with your husband. You know what he does with his dirty socks. They're all balled up, inside out. You try to wash them, but you can only find one. You can't wash them because there's only one. <laughs> you know what he does with his dirty socks. You've seen, him, you've seen him treat the dog better than the children and you. Or maybe you've seen him kick the dog. You've heard him yell at the kids. You've witnessed his bad financial decisions. A lack of character, a lack of discipline, laziness, whatever it may be. And so the devil whispers in your ear, you don't have to submit to that. Look at him. He's just a sinner. Now I want you to know this, and we all know this, we're all sinners in this room saved by the grace of God. There are all areas of our lives where we can grow and, and be strengthened in and mature in and become more disciplined in and walk uh, more closely with our God. There, all of us have room for improvement and ought to be striving for that every day of our lives. But ladies, please hear me. Wives, please hear me in this room. If you buy into the devil's lies and sometimes, unfortunately, honest accusations against your, hundred, your husband, then your, the integrity of your evaluation of your husband is going to be destroyed and it will not be long before you will not follow him and you will not follow his leadership and honor him and submit to him. Why? Because he's just a jerk. And the problem with this is, I want you to understand this, his personality, his character may be low, 
all, every husband's personality and character can, is flawed. But I want you to know the position that he holds is divine. You see the difference? Do you see the difference? I don't think so. The position that he holds is different than his personality. It ought to measure up. Sometimes it doesn't. But ladies, if you, wives, if you start looking at your husband's personality alone and you're determining I can or cannot, I will or will not submit to my husband based upon his character, you stop submitting to him. You're disobeying the word of God. God's not saying to submit to him based upon his personality or his character. God's saying submit to your husband because I, God, have given him a divine position of authority. Do you see it? It's very important that you see that. If you don't, you can make wives, I believe, are making excuses throughout generations, hundreds of years of excuses why wives do not submit themselves to their own husbands, why they will not obey the word of God, while they will not uh, be filled with the spirit of God. And it caused such damage in the home and such damage to the marriage relationship and such damage to society as a whole. And I remind you again of the sacrifice that was paid so that you and I could walk worthy and and have the liberty that God has given to us. There's a third obstacle that a wife faces. A wife feels responsible for her husband and not to her husband. She focuses on her husband's personality, his character, instead of his divine position. Thirdly, a wife sometimes doesn't submit herself to her own husband because she lacks faith in God. When two people are engaged to be married, they have an idealistic view of one another. Mm. They look into each other's eyes. You know what they see? What they want to see. And it's beautifully innocent, I suppose. And after marriage, reality sets in. How many of you sleep right down the middle of the bed? And your spouse is left with about an eighth. Reality sets in. Not only is the spouse a disappointment, but God seems to be absent. A wife can feel as though both her husband and God have neglected her. And and a husband can neglect his wife, but God will never neglect you. And this is a wrong view of God. And when a wife sees God as distant or uncaring or cruel, oftentimes that wife will stop trusting in her authority and she'll take matters into her own hands. And what is needed? This lack of faith in God, what is needed to restore it? And the answer is a strong understanding that God is loving and that he is in control. He is in control. Is God out of control just because a husband lacks discipline? Is God out of control when a husband is abusive? I suppose I'm giving, in that sense, I'm giving the worst case scenario. Now, there have been times in counseling where I have looked at the wife and I have said, if this is the behavior and it is damaging it is in, in, to the point of abusive, there have been times where I have said, You need to separate for a time. You need to get out of that house. In extreme conditions, you need to separate the bank accounts. All for the purpose of reconciliation, but in a moment, for a period of time, if this guy's out of control, you need to get out of that house and protect your children and yourself physically. There are times like that. There are times like that. But, but there is a need to remember that God is in control. God is still in control. He worked through the circumstances that brought you and your husband together. Proverbs 16 and verse 33 says, The lot is cast. It's talking about kind of like a dice or drawing straws. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. You can draw lots. You can roll the dice, but ultimately, in the end, there is nothing that happens on this earth that God does not control. God controls the placement of godly leaders, and God controls the placement of ungodly leaders. 
In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17, King Nebuchadnezzar, God used King Nebuchadnezzar to write part of the Bible. And he says this in verse 17 of chapter 4, The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. Did you know that? That even when we have an ungodly president, that God has still put him in position? Do you realize that? And I still vote, by the way. But ultimately, God still puts him in position. Why does God set up a a base men in positions of authority? Why does God allow, why has God allowed your husband to be an ungodly man? Some of these questions are beyond our time. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. In Romans 8, we're told in verse 28 that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When Paul was in prison the first time in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, he said, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. You see, God can use the foolishness and the sinfulness of an ungodly husband to create the righteousness of Christ in him and in you. Honor God by submitting to your leadership. And avoid the temptation of manipulating your husband to get the things, get things done the way that you want them to be done or how you think they should be done. There's another obstacle, and that's unfulfilled expectations. One of the, re- one of the reasons, one of the things that causes a wife to draw back from submitting herself to her husband's leadership is that expectations are unfulfilled. Hers are, have been unfulfilled. I suppose a wife could try to control her husband so that her expectations can be fulfilled. Maybe adequate time together. They're just not having enough time together. And so you know what? If I make my husband's life miserable, maybe we can have more time together. That's kind of backward thinking. Or maybe, you know, if, if, uh, if, if you know, he's not getting it done and, I, and we're not going to have any money for retirement, and so I'm going to, I'm not going to follow his leadership I'm not going to submit myself to him because, you know what, he's not saving for retirement like he ought to, or he's not handling the money like I would, and maybe the wife is not having peace of mind, or maybe she doesn't have the rest that she needs. She's she's working so hard in the home, and he doesn't seem to know or care. He doesn't seem to be thankful. Maybe it's because of failure or financial stresses. Do you have expectations that have been unfulfilled? that your husband has failed to deliver on? Proverbs 13 and verse 12 says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Hope deferred, unfulfilled expectations, hopes and dreams can literally make someone ill physically. Unmet expectations can lead to discouragement and resentment, a broken heart. And sometimes expectations are realistic, and other times they're unrealistic. Do you remember growing up, and, and in every movie, every, every Disney movie, they always lived happily ever after? You remember that? The, um, what was it? Uh, oh, it was a fox, Prince John, um, Robin Hood. There we go. All right. I'm talking about the cartoon now. It was a fox. Have you ever seen it? I don't recommend movies. A lot from the pulpit. This one would be worth your time. The cartoon. I could sing you part of the couple of the songs, but 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 Robin Hood is a fox, and he marries Maid Marian at the very end. It's a it's just great. You'd love it. And you know what? They drive off in their carriage. It's a cartoon. If you go watch something that's not a cartoon and blame me for it, I'm, I'm not taking responsibility. Okay. And they drive off in their carriage, and they're looking at each other, and she's got these big, long eyelashes, you know. They're just so cute. You know, uh, Beauty and the Beast, I think it works out well for them in the end there. Uh, Cinderella. Cinderella works out for her. Yeah, Sleeping Beauty. She kind of had a rough, rough go, but she turned out okay. Um, they all work out, and they lived happily ever after, Right? just the way it is. We've been trained like that from our, from our childhood. Have you ever had to watch one of those sappy Hallmark movies? <laughs> Terrible. 
terrible. The storylines are even pathetic. I mean, you know it's going to be okay, and it's started at the beginning. I mean, you, don't, you can only watch like three minutes of that, and you're like, it's going to be okay, honey. Let's just turn it off and move on to the next thing. <laughs> These people are going to get together. You can't have a smile that nice on two people without them being married in a Hallmark movie. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. It's just going to be okay. But you know what? That's not life. Husbands fail their wives sometimes, and sometimes to the highest level. And I'm not excusing it in any way. I'm not. Wives, your responsibility is to submit to your own husband. You might be married to an unsaved man. I know a lady whose husband won't let her go to church. Only Sunday morning, that's it. He's an unsaved man, and she honors him. She honors him. You need to submit to your own husband. You know, I'll I'll close with this, but you, you as a wife have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to biblically follow your husband. How does that, what does that look like? According to our passage, you can respect him as a man. Look at verse 22. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And I I need to point this out. This isn't a matter of, this isn't male chauvinism. You as a wife are not commanded to submit yourself to any other man. It's not a matter of men are in leadership, men are in charge, men. That's not what he's saying. He's saying as a a wife in in your home, within that institution, ma'am, you're to submit yourself to your own husband. Respect him as a man. Maybe he has significant areas in his life that are not respectable. Respect the areas that are respectable. Compliment him on the areas that are respectable. Respect the position that he holds. I've tried as a father to lead my children to respect positions of authority. I may not agree with the president that we've had. I may not agree with something that he does. I may not agree with his character, the character of a president. But I'm not going to sit in front of my children and degrade the office that he holds. Not every police officer is honorable, but you know what? The office they hold is wonderfully honorable. And I teach my children to honor their authority. I had a police officer years ago when I was 16. Mom, do you remember this? I was driving through Flushing and I got pulled over in my little truck. And Mom was sitting next to me and my sister was next to her. How many of you think I was speeding? I wasn't speeding. It had a straight six engine. It couldn't speed. All right? Impossible. I had to peel out, I had to go in reverse. That's probably why the transmission didn't last very long. Anyway, we're driving through Flushing. He pulls me over, I'm 16 years old. We were all buckled. As soon as I pulled over, of course, I'm, my hands are already sweaty because I'm only 16. I, had to, I can't get my wallet out. My mom's next to me, we're all in this bench seat, so I unbuckled to get my wallet out. By the time he got there, He said, well, I'm not going to give you a ticket for speeding, but I'm going to give you a ticket for being unbuckled. It's okay. It's all right. I suppose I could be mad at all policemen forever after for the injustice that was carried out in my life when I was 16 years old and I've been scarred and marred for the rest of my life. It's kind of silly, isn't it? It would be, wouldn't it? It would be silly if I taught my children to dishonor authority because I had an authority figure in my life at some point in my life who did not carry out their authority responsibly or accurately. People make mistakes. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. Respect him as a man. I think it sometimes is easier for a woman to follow someone she doesn't know very well, like a pastor, or maybe like a police officer. It's easy to get comfortable with your husband. You know him. And have a casual attitude about your responsibility to follow him. But the emphasis of scripture 
is for each wife to follow her own husband. You know, I think men have a natural way, natural ways to establish their manliness. Sometimes people, unsaved men, will drink a lot of beer to establish how manly they are. Other men will point out the size of their biceps. The older we get, we have to find other ways. Some men, their manliness is described or, or uh, they, they establish it by their professional achievements. Look at what I've accomplished, a ladder of success. Sometimes men will do it through sexual conquest. A lot of money. Look at all the toys I have. But you know what? God has a better way. God has provided for a man's need through his wife in a spiritual way, not in the world, but in the home. And that is through a wife submitting herself to her own husband. God uses you as a wife to tell your husband that he is valuable. You say, my husband doesn't need to be told that he's valuable, Seth. He thinks he's the most valuable thing on the face of the earth. You'd be surprised, I think, what your husband thinks of himself. I can remember something that happened years ago. I think it was in late 99 or 2000. Kurt Warner was in the, playing in the NFL. I think it was his first year as a starter. The Rams had gone like 4-12 and 12 the year before. That year they went 12-something and something and, and I think won the Super Bowl. He was, ended up being the MVP of the Super Bowl. The guy had been bagging groceries the year before nights while playing in some other minor league type team. And uh, after the first game of that season, he ran to the stands and was looking up in the stands, and he found his wife and he gave her a hug. That happened a couple times that year. The Super Bowl came. I don't think she was uh, uh, had seats on the field. But after the Super Bowl was done, the whole world had watched it. I don't know how many fans were in that stadium. Kurt Warner, after one of the best performances ever in a Super Bowl and one of the best seasons ever as a quarterback in the NFL, media all around him, cameras all around him. You know what Kurt Warner did? You, the, and the cameras picked up this. They're, they're following him, and he's, his eyes are scanning the seats where his wife was at. And finally, he connected eyes with his wife, and she connected eyes with him, and she gave him a thumbs up. And he gave her a thumbs up, and he had the biggest smile ever on his face. It's only been a couple of years, but I saw this again with Tom Brady in a similar situation. And, and after the game's over, he's won the Super Bowl. He looks up to where his wife is seated. She's jumping up and down, clapping like this with a big smile on her face, looking at him, and he's looking for whose approval? Not another woman. Not the 70,000 fans. Not all the media. Not even his teammates. He's looking for his wife's approval. I'm telling you as a wife, you have an opportunity. Respect him as a man. Reverence him as a leader. Look at verse 33. He says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Revere him. I'm telling you, men, some of us have put our wives in an awful situation because I'm preaching what the Bible says a wife ought to do and submit and revere her husband. And some of us as husbands have put our wives in an awfully hard situation. Ma'am, I want you to know, though, no matter what your husband does, you can still walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and be controlled by him, and you can still submit yourself to your own husband, his position. Maybe he's not honorable, but you can still submit to him in his position of authority. You can still follow his leadership. You can still give reverence to him. You can reassure him that you trust God to work through him. You can tell your husband that you respect his authority because God has given it to him. You can encourage him to hold on to his God-given goals when things look rough. You, you as a wife can seek spiritual counsel from your husband. And ultimately, you can submit to him as to the Lord. And I'll, I'll end with this. Submit to him as unto the Lord. Look at verse 22. The very last statement, he, she, he says, 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, I want to make this, and this is the question. Why should a wife submit to her own husband? It's not politically correct in the day in which we're talking about. The answer is you should submit to your own husband because God tells you to. That's why. That's the only reason. He may deserve it. He may not. A, guy who, a, man, a husband who does deserve it for 10 years may not deserve it for one day. That's not, that's not in question. That's his responsibility before God. That man's going to give an account to God for what kind of a husband he was. But you are going to give an account to God for whether or not you obeyed God. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord, and not unto men. Wives, you should submit yourself to your own husband's Because God says to. And you know, as a society, we've gotten away from this. It is uncommon, unfortunately, to see a husband and a wife where a wife honors and submits to her husband. It is, it's almost weird. Who does he think he is? You know what? In a godly, healthy marriage where both are filled with the Spirit of God, husband loving, wife submitting, it's not weird. It's beautiful. It's not a matter of a man exercising his authority over his wife. You don't see that at all. You see a husband cherishing his wife at the highest level, and you see a wife honoring her husband and following him, and it is true, pure union. No, unity. Not union. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your path 